the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. In this inspired record are tremendous lessons for us about serving God amidst opposition, about perseverance, about leadership, about guidance, about dealing with all kinds of of problems. I do not believe this book is a manual on leadership. I do not believe that was the intent of the Spirit of God, or or even a manual on on specifically on service. But I do think that, that God intended for there to be many great lessons about leadership and about service to the Lord in this book. Welcome to Verse by Verse. The book Pastor Steve Kreloff is talking about is Nehemiah. It may not be a manual on leadership, but Nehemiah did a great job of modeling it. In so doing, he showed us plenty of qualities that will help us live more productive, victorious, and joyful lives. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. With more about Verse by Verse and how you might become involved, here's Pastor Steve. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on Verse by Verse. We believe that the Word of God has answers for problems. We know that life has stresses, life has pressures. We're looking for answers. We believe that the place to look is the Word of God, and we are uh, grateful every time we hear that someone is listening to the radio, and uh, our program has been transformed by by Scripture because uh, the Word of God is not only inspired, but Paul said it is profitable, and it will transform lives. So we're grateful that uh, we could come into your home, into your car, and and help you deal with life's pressures. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you, Pastor Steve. There is a song I heard not long ago that talks about having one pure and holy passion, a passion to know and follow hard after the Lord Jesus. That's a good passion to have, but if we are going to make a real difference for him in this sin-stained world, we need another kind of passion. We need a burning desire to make a mark for Christ in some specific area within our sphere of influence. In today's class, we'll see that Nehemiah had such a passion. But first, we need to finish introducing Nehemiah. In our last meeting, Pastor Steve launched into this new series of lessons about Nehemiah, the book, and the man. We've been looking at the historical setting of this great book in order to understand the context in which it was written. 
We will need that foundation later as we seek to understand and apply the contents of Nehemiah's memoirs. In 722 BC, the Assyrians conquered and led into captivity the ten northern tribes of Israel. But God waited about 200 years before finally punishing the southern kingdom. It's at that point that we pick up again with our lesson for today. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, God was gracious to the southern kingdom. He gave them about 200 more years to repent, and he sent prophets, most notably Jeremiah, who called them to repent, and they would not. Disobedience, rebellion to the law, uh, a horrible time, idolatry. And so, since they refused to repent about 200 years later, in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, no longer were the Assyrians the leading empire, now it was Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians attacked Israel, specifically Jerusalem. They did the worst thing that could ever happen to the Jewish people. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed it. Solomon's temple uh, was absolutely destroyed, and uh, the city was destroyed, and then they transported just about all of the people in three, in three transportations back to Babylon, which was 800 miles away. It took them as slaves. They put, they put actually through their skin hooks and hooked them together and marched them 800 miles to Babylon. And you want to just feel for these people and, and what they went through. And though the nation mourns because of the, the death of their leader, it is nothing like, like then. Let me read to you Psalm 137. And uh, one, of the saddest, one of the saddest psalms in all of the Bible. Psalm 137 and uh, speaks of, of their weeping. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us the songs, one of the songs of Zion. And they answered, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, against the, the, the day of Jerusalem, who say, Raz, rather than he goes on and uh, speaks of, of their, their extreme bitterness of being in that situation. Just before the book of, of Ezra, we have Chronicles, Second Chronicles. And it says in Second Chronicles 36, verse 18, and all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. And those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. And so... What has happened now is Babylon came in and they swept Judah away. But how long did the captivity last? Jeremiah predicted in Jeremiah 25 that it would only be 70 years, not forever, just 70 years. And what the writer to the of Chronicles is telling us that eventually Babylon was overtaken by another kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, who we just call the, the Persians, and they became the leading empire. And... Uh, 
And God raised up the Persian Empire primarily for one major reason, as God was sovereign and is sovereign in history, and that is that the Persian king, Cyrus, would make a decree that would send the Jewish people back home. He would say, return. And it wasn't because he was particularly a lover of Jewish people. He wanted It was for political reasons. He wanted somebody in that area of the world because Egypt was acting up against Persia and he wanted some friends. So he was kind to the Jews and said, go home. And we read this in verse 22 of Second Chronicles. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, and he means Jeremiah 25, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, whoever there is among you of all his people may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up go home and so the Jews could return and they did return in at three different times under three different leaders the first group that returned returned un, under the leadership of a man by the name of Zerubbabel Zerubbabel and this was in uh, about 538 BC his goal was to rebuild the temple Okay? And, and this is written in the book of Ezra. Uh, and he finally did, after much opposition and, and many years, the temple was rebuilt. Then some years later, the second group returned, about 80 years later, and they were led by the priest named Ezra, of which we get the book Ezra. And Ezra brought back the people to their spiritual and moral roots. That's what Ezra did. About, and all this is written in the book of Ezra. Now, about 15 years after Ezra's group returned to Judah, Nehemiah the layman, the cupbearer to the Persian king, led a third group back from Persia, and he came for one specific reason. You look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and you'll see the reason, verses 2 and 3. His brother Hanani and some other men from Judah came, and they asked them, he said, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress, and watch this, reproach, and the wall, and that's the key word, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So Nehemiah had a brother. His name was Hanani. We don't know a whole lot about him. He's just returned with some men from Jerusalem, and Nehemiah approaches him and says, how is it? What's the status of the people? What's the status of the city? And he reports to him, the people are in great distress and great reproach. In other words, the Jewish people, our brethren, are being insulted day and night. They're insulted and disgraced by their neighbors. Why? Now watch this. Because the wall of the city is down. The wall of the city of down. Its gates, he says, are burned with fire. In other words, the city... And you'll never understand Nehemiah unless you understand this, because we have no concept of this in our own society. The city and, and the temple and the people are a laughing stock to their enemies, the Samaritans around them. A laughing stock because they're defenseless against their enemies. In ancient times, if you didn't have a wall around your city, you were a joke. You weren't a city. I was thinking, how could I even, what's the analogy today? And I thought of this. It's like having a navy without boats. 
A joke. What do you mean you have a Navy? They make movies about that. Funny, silly movies about that. Or it's like saying we have an army, but we don't have guns. But we have an army. We have a city, but do you have a wall? No, you don't have a city. And it's a disgrace to God because if your God was so great, he'd protect you by giving you a wall. And your God hasn't done it for years, for years. Now, a few years earlier, some of the Jewish people had attempted to rebuild the wall, but there was such opposition that they stopped. The former Persian king had said, uh, made a decree that said, stop it. And uh, now Nehemiah apparently is learning of the results of that decree that it has stopped. And he's heartbroken. He says in verse four, now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. It's out of his anguish and grief that the story of, of Nehemiah arises as God sends him back to rebuild Jerusalem's wall. Eventually he becomes the governor of Judah. And in addition to restoring, watch this, in addition to restoring the physical walls, Nehemiah also is responsible for restoring the spiritual lives of the people by, by making sure they are instructed in God's word. He brings Ezra in to do that and also by reforming the people by reforms. So the book of Nehemiah, if you're looking for one word that describes Nehemiah, is restoration. Both the walls and the city. When you think of the book of Ezra, you think of the temple. When you think of the book of Nehemiah, you think of the walls surrounding the city. And here's how I would outline the book, so it might be easier for you to follow. Chapters 1 through 6, Nehemiah restores the walls of the city. That's basically what it's about. In chapters 7 through 13, he restores the people of the city. And the major theme and message of the book is this. It is an inspired record in the form of Nehemiah's memoirs. It's his journal. It's basically his journal of how Nehemiah was used of God to restore the Jewish people to both their physical and spiritual foundations of the past. In other words, the book of Nehemiah connects them spiritually and physically back to their roots before the captivity. It's a record of restoration after the captivity. But in this inspired record are tremendous lessons for us about serving God amidst opposition, about perseverance, about leadership, about guidance, about dealing with all kinds of, of problems. I do not believe this book is a manual on leadership. I do not believe that was the intent of the Spirit of God. Or, or even a manual on, on specifically on service. But I do think that, that God intended for there to be many great lessons about leadership and about service to the Lord in this book. So that's the historical setting. That's the theme of the book. But what about Nehemiah the man? Let's very quickly look at Nehemiah the man. I want you to see three qualities of Nehemiah that made him an effective servant. And these are the qualities. If you're going to be an effective servant for Christ, you have to have these qualities. Number one, quality number one is Nehemiah was informed. All effective service begins with a clear understanding of the situation. Nehemiah, as we just read, inquired about the conditions of Jerusalem and its people. And you know what? He not only inquired, he listened for the answer. Notice verse four, the beginning of verse four says, when I heard these words, he didn't talk to, to hear himself. He really listened. He asked a question and listened for the answer. Now, you may think that's real obvious, of course. 
but it's not that obvious. This is a tremendous truth. You know why? Because you cannot solve a problem, whether it be a spiritual problem or a, or a physical or any kind of a problem or meet a need unless you first know what that problem and need is. There are many people who do not know what the real problem is. They may be good at solving problems, but they're solving the wrong problems. They don't know what the real problems are. Many in Christian service are like that. They're busy doing the wrong things, not the priorities. There are some people who never really have effective service for Christ. They may have some service, but I don't call it effective service for Jesus because they live in a dream world. Everything is fine to them. Everything's okay. If you tell them, here's a problem, they'll tell you it's not a problem. It's not a problem. No, it is a problem. It is a problem that has to be solved. And they'll say, no problem, but it is a problem. Everything's just fine. Everything is not fine. That doesn't mean that we, we go to pieces, but it does mean that we have to face reality. Some people have a hard time just facing reality. Therefore, they never really uh, set out to solve a real problem and meet a real need in their service for Christ. They're oblivious to what's really going on. Alan Redpath said this, you are never used of God to bring blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see things as they are. As they are. In a local church like ours, there are wonderful things going on. And you know what? There are things that need correcting. And that's reality. It's also the flip side is also wrong to only see problems and never see good things. People like that are depressing to have around. So you need a balance. If you're looking for a ministry or you're presently in a ministry, I exhort you, don't be afraid to ask tough questions. See, some of us don't want to ask tough questions because we don't want the answer because they hurt. Nehemiah was hurt by the answer. You take a risk. Life has risk. You ask tough questions and you get the facts, even if it hurts. See, there's some people who don't want the facts because their minds are made up. Nehemiah was not like that. Give me the facts. Don't hold it back. See, don't avoid the pain of reality in service to Christ or in any area. Service to your family. Some people don't want to admit that their children are sinners. They are sinners. You know, my children couldn't possibly do that. I've always said when someone would come and, and say something about what my children did, I think, oh, is that all? No offense to my children. They're just like yours. They're just like me. That's their biggest problem. And I'm just like Adam, a sinner. Some people don't, don't face reality. They, and, they, and they need to. You cannot meet a need if you don't know what that need is. And you won't know what the need is if you don't ask tough questions and stay informed. It's a basic, basic truth, but one that's often neglected. Some fathers need to ask some, some good questions uh, about their family members to discover real needs and problems and not just leave it to their wives. Some employers need to get informed to solve real problems. Some ministry leaders need to ask those under them what's really happening. So the point is that effective service in all areas of life, church, home, business, begin with being informed, knowing what's going on, so that by God's strength, you can set about to solve the problem in God's way. But you have to know what the issues are. So that's the first quality that I see in Nehemiah. He was not afraid to be informed. He didn't say, don't tell me. Don't tell I'm living in luxury here. I don't want to know. 
No, he said, tell me. Tell me even if it hurts. There's a second quality. Nehemiah didn't simply accumulate the facts in his head. He didn't just get information. It didn't stop there. The facts burdened him. And that's the second quality. He was burdened, overwhelmingly burdened, I might add. He was burdened. Notice verse 4 goes on to say, after he heard these words, he said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Uh, That's been on my mind all, all week. I sat down and wept and mourned for days. That, that's bothered me because I don't sit down and weep and mourn like I should. You see, even though Nehemiah had a very comfortable job, be cupbearer of the king, he, he lived in luxury. Unless, of course, the food was poison. You know, they didn't live at all. But generally, if he continued living, it was in luxury. And he lived about, about 800 miles away. He might have said, I, I really don't care. I'll pray, I'll pray, you know, when I have my quiet time. Um, but it's not my problem. I don't live there anymore. He probably never lived there, actually. Parents did, but uh, he's probably born in captivity. And uh, it's not my problem. I'm here. Um, may the Lord bless them, but uh, I've got another life. No, he didn't, he didn't do that at all. His heart was broken and burdened for the struggling remnant because he had a heart for God's glory. That's really the bottom line. He had a heart for God's glory. As long as Jerusalem had no walls, it wasn't the people who he was primarily concerned about who were disgraced. It was the God of the people who was disgraced. You see, the the enemies would would basically, uh, this would be their thought pattern. What kind of a weak and pathetic God, what kind of a joke of a God would put his temple back there and his people there and they don't even have uh, a wall around them? I mean, that's a joke. You can't have that can't be defended. I wonder if you've ever really been brokenhearted over something that's wrong in the kingdom of God. I wonder if, if you really are brokenhearted when you hear about a problem in the church, when somebody blows it, God's people in the church, or a strategic ministry isn't being done right. Does it burden your heart or does it cause you just to be critical? That's what's bothered me this week, because more times than not, it causes me to be critical and not have a broken, burdened heart. All I can think of is, oh, they should have done that. Why didn't they do this? Let's organize. Um, You're going to see a lot about organization in this book, but it's born out of a heart that was broken. Not just to fix it, but to glorify the Lord. Before you can effectively serve God, I really think you have to uh, feel a certain pressure in your soul that's disturbed by God not being glorified. It ought to bother you for the right reasons, God's glory, not because your ministry doesn't look good or uh, things aren't going right or they don't know what they're doing, but God isn't being honored by this. That's, I think that's the real issue. That's where service begins. In other words, before you can deal effectively with a problem, you first have to weep over that problem. I once heard a story about a drill bit manufacturer who was struggling because of a declining demand for drill bits. He called a meeting and challenged his executives. How can we revive the drill bit market? After an embarrassing silence, one team member finally brought clarity. Sir, he said, the market isn't for drill bits, it's for holes. I don't know if that story is true or not, but when a company can identify a genuine need or want, they can stay in business by meeting that need and adjusting to it as it evolves. Otherwise, they will go out of business. In a similar way, if we want to serve Christ, we must find a need and glorify Him by meeting that need. 
Otherwise, we are engaged in useless activity that does not honor the Lord. Pastor Steve Kreloff will tell us more and continue our discussion of the three qualities of an effective leader on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These programs, based on Pastor Steve's Sunday messages, are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. To learn more about us or to listen again to today's lesson, stop in at our website, versebyverseradio.org. This class was the middle of a three-part message that introduces the book of Nehemiah. In order to hear the entire message at once without announcements, order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-239-0306. What if you got up every day and went to work, but had no idea what was the business of the company you worked for, or what you ought to be doing while at work? How long would you stay in that job? Cartoonist Ralph Barton, although successful and in demand, took his own life, leaving a note nearby that included these words, I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. Sadly, many Christians go through life without a real sense of purpose other than a vague notion that they should trust and obey God. To live fulfilled lives and to make a difference for Christ, we need to be aware of needs around us that we can meet and then look to God for guidance in addressing that need. Finally, we then should be passionate about it. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.